welcome to The Prosper Project, the show that helps entrepreneurs build brands that impact the world and the bottom line. We know that success doesn't come in a one-size-fits-all package. That's why we're bringing you adaptable marketing strategies along with valuable insights from inspiring changemakers, firebrands, and visionaries. I'm Lorraine Sugart, founder of the disruptive brand agency, Prosper for Purpose. Now for this week's episode. Welcome back to the Prosper Project, where today we are speaking with Evan Neerman. We're going to be talking about cancel culture and crisis communication. Evan is the crisis PR guru behind Red Banyan, a world-renowned PR agency that focuses on crisis and always knows exactly what to say and when to say it. As CEO and founder, Evan is a force to be reckoned with when it comes to delivering impact. He has written two books, one on crisis communications and the other on cancel culture. And we're going to start diving into both those topics today. So let's go. All right. So welcome, Evan. How are you today? Amazing. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So I want to start by talking about something that I'm sure has been on a lot of people's minds and we're seeing so much of it in the media. And then I want to spend a little more time digging into your business because I find that so fascinating. But tell us a little bit about what piqued your interest in cancel culture. Well, as you correctly pointed out, it's something that people are talking about a lot. You hear it online, in the media, on TV, you name it. It's a conversation. I mean, just last night I was in the grocery store picking up groceries and I heard somebody at the checkout register talking to someone else. He goes, oh man, I'm going to cancel you. I'm going to go on Twitter or X or whatever it's called and you're going to get canceled. He was joking, but it just shows that this notion this practice of canceling people is pervasive in our society. And the reason that I wrote this book is because being an author is a side gig for me, if you will. It's an area of of interest. I've written two books. The first was about my real day-to-day job, which is crisis communications called Crisis Averted. The second book, which we're talking about now, is, is called The Cancel Culture Curse. And this one was really a passion project for me. I decided to write the book because I was seeing such a marked uptick of people who were coming to my firm complaining about the fact that their business was being decimated, they were being targeted, and that cancel culture was literally ruining their lives. So I wrote the book in order to expose the practice, to define it for the first time so that people have an idea of what this thing is that we're talking about. And I really make the case in the book that it's a fundamentally unfair and un-American practice and that I think it's bad for our society. And I think that I wanted to give especially entrepreneurs and business owners a playbook for what to do if they're being targeted by these people. I like to call them cancel vultures because they pick apart other people and they feast on on your reputation and they pick you apart and then they leave you to die on the uh, side of the internet highway. How do I help business owners and leaders avoid getting canceled in the first place? Not just respond if and when a crisis happens, but then what to do. And so look, if one person reads the book and is able to navigate cancel culture in a way that they weren't before, I will have done my job. If one person was thinking about canceling someone else or jumping on a bandwagon to bully someone on social media, 
And this opened up their eyes and they decided not to. I will have done my job. If one parent teaches their kid how to avoid getting into a crisis and how to not just not be a victim of cancel culture, but also make sure that their kid doesn't become a cancel vulture, then I, I love will that. do my job. Yeah. I love that you said that last part about teaching our children both ways, because it does seem like people feed off the power of being able to cancel someone else. And I also love that as a crisis communications expert, that you're really focused on helping people avoid the crisis. So we used to say crisis averted. And I think that's so important. But I'm also curious Can you give us an example of a company that went through this canceling that either you helped or you witnessed kind of turning things around? What does that look like in worst case scenario? Well, not worst case scenario, but having been canceled and then coming back. Are there any good examples of that? I'm so glad you asked the question. There are good examples. And it turns out it's someone who we did work with. And at the tail end of the book, I've got a section that's just case studies. And it's four or five different specific case studies talking about, here are the facts, here's what actually happened, here's the context, here's how the cancellation went down, and then what were the results, and what, if anything, did we learn from it? And I think one of the best examples of cancel culture gone awry which both shows the risks and how dangerous cancel culture is, but also shows that you don't have to be a victim and that there are ways to navigate it, is a woman who I'm proud to call both a client as well as she's become a friend too. Her name is Michelle McFarland, and she's in Michigan, and she owns a wedding shop called, appropriately enough, The Wedding Shop. And (laughs) Here's the story of Michelle, and I'll, I'll give you the very short version which is small business owner, scrappy entrepreneur, builds a company from nothing. She's got about 30 employees. My phone rings. It's Michelle McFarland on the other side of the phone. And she's asking me, you're a crisis communications firm, right? Yes. Okay. I need your help. Here's what's going on. I don't really understand it. And Michelle was calling me from Las Vegas. It was about six in the morning, her time. She went on vacation with her husband. So this thing, as often is the case with crisis, it happens at the worst possible time. So usually my team knows that right when we're gearing up to head into the weekend after a busy week, that's when the phone is going to ring and we're going to have to start going 100 miles an hour on a new crisis. It's just the way that it goes. She's on a vacation in Las Vegas with her husband. This is post-COVID. They've been through a lot. So the organization, the company basically went into a shutdown during COVID because there were no weddings and people weren't going into the store. And she services brides and their wedding parties. And she called because there were calls going out on the internet for her store to be boycotted. And she didn't know where this was coming from. She didn't understand it. Well, this was a case of mistaken identity. What happened in the presidential election, in the aftermath of the Donald Trump, Joe Biden election, there was a whole kerfuffle that happened in Michigan where there were a couple of the people who were supposed to certify the vote in and around Detroit. And they were saying that they weren't going to certify the vote due to concerns of voting irregularities, et cetera. It became a very big hot button political issues. 
the left was saying, you're disenfranchising people in Detroit. You're trying to erase their votes. The people on the right were saying, well, these people are doing the right thing because they're not certifying an election and there was fraud. So a whole political food fight going on. And one of the people who was charged with certifying the election was someone who on Twitter months and months before had posted something about the wedding shop. And it seen that they were running a special and it was something along the lines of, oh, you can get a 30% off of your fitting if you go to the wedding shop this weekend. So she shared it. And what happened was people who were looking to pick fights online seized upon this. They incorrectly assumed that this woman either owned the wedding shop or that she had a business interest in it. And so they were opposed to her on political grounds. And so they sent out a call on a Facebook group. We got to boycott the wedding shop because they're trying to deprive voters, disenfranchise them. We got to stand up to these people. So Michelle McFarland calls me. She's telling me, Evan, I don't know what to do. I have nothing to do with this. I've never met this woman in my life, this woman who was supposed to be uh, certifying the election. I have nothing to do with politics. There's nothing less political than making brides look amazing on their wedding days. What do I do? So that's the scenario. That's where it starts. That's crazy. So tell us what happened. It's like a mystery. What did you guys do to help her kind of clean up the misunderstanding? So Michelle is a very smart, very dynamic, very articulate spokesperson. And she went into action immediately. And what she really needed our team to help her with was mapping out the strategy and telling her what to do and what not to do, and then setting her free to do it because she was really a great advocate for herself. And she adhered to one of the main themes that I put in the book, which is if you're being canceled, the first thing you have to do is decide that you're not going to allow people to cancel you. Refuse mm-hmm. to be canceled and actually stand up for yourself, get in the discussion, defend your reputation, tell your story because no one is going to tell it for you. And right. this- version that they're going to tell isn't how you're going to want it told. So even though it's very uncomfortable and the spotlight is on you, you have to be willing to get in the discussion. So we did a couple of things. One, Michelle decided she wasn't going to be canceled. She was going to fight for her business. And for her, this was very personal. There are 30 families that rely on her being able to provide them with jobs. And she wasn't about to let this mistake or this lie that she was somehow involved or that this had anything to do with politics. So a couple things we did, we paid a lot of attention to where this was coming from online. And our researchers determined that a lot of it was coming from a Facebook group. And what we did was we approached the administrator of that group and said, listen, you have the wrong person here. You know, you have this post calling for a boycott, but this woman, Michelle McFarland, she owns it. She has nothing to do with politics. Call the dogs off, basically. Mm-hmm. Tell everyone to stand down. Please delete your post calling for the boycott. And we reached out and thankfully this person was receptive. It took her time because we had to prove to her. We didn't just tell her, we had to show her, look, they are, we can prove to you that this is Michelle's business, that this has nothing to do with this other person. And in the meantime, Michelle got busy telling her story publicly. So she was reaching out to her staff, her internal audience. She was reaching out to her customer base. She was providing instruction to her staff of what to do if and when reporters came and asked questions. And the other thing is we really flipped the script here. 
I told Michelle, what I'd like you to do is something that is very bold. I don't know if you're up for it, but I want you to actually take this public. And a lot of times people in crisis don't want to go public because they're worried more people will hear about this uncomfortable. Michelle wasn't afraid. And so what we did was we actually engaged local media and we reached out to the TV station in, in her small town and we invited them to come to the shop and to do an interview with Michelle. And they actually ended up running a story that wasn't focused on you know, the boycott alone or focused on politics. It was, here's a local business that's being attacked and the subject of boycott calls, but it's actually a mistaken identity. They've done absolutely nothing. And so the combination of approaching where the bulk of the criticism was coming from And eventually, after more than 24 hours, the administrator of that Facebook group took down the post. Good. And Michelle was out there in the meantime, reiterating via every channel she could, press release, social media statements, internal guidance to her staff, laying out the facts. And then when she went on TV and they ran the story, what happened was the all of her supporters and all of our customers all that goodwill she'd built up over years, those people came out of the woodwork to support her. And they ended up not only not getting canceled and not going out business, but they saw an uptick and the customers rallied around her and her team. So it was a great outcome. And it it never would have been possible if Michelle hadn't been willing to tell her story, tell it the right way, be aggressive about getting her narrative out and not allowing false information to take hold. I love that. That's such a great illustration of how to address negative attention. And, you know, she definitely had a bit of an advantage in that she had not done anything wrong. But your company, Red Banyan, actually deals with crisis communications, PR for clients that perhaps are not victims of cancel culture, but perhaps have either made a mistake or are seen in a certain lens. So can you tell our audience, obviously, I know what crisis communications is being a fellow PR person, but can you tell our audience a little bit about what crisis communications entails? Absolutely. Well, a crisis can be defined by different people. What constitutes a crisis for you may not constitute a crisis for me. And, you know, a crisis that we think together, we agree is a crisis to a large enterprise level corporation may not constitute a crisis. So it's anything and everything that is being reported, disseminated out there in the world that runs counter to the story that you would want told. So if you're an organization that has a negative review online, that could constitute a crisis for you because it Mm. could discourage people from doing business with your company. If you've got negative responses from former employees, disgruntled former employees on Glassdoor that people are reading and it's, it's preventing you from hiring good staff, that may constitute a crisis. Now, in my first book, I tell lots of very sensational, very dramatic stories of of crises, and they range from murder-suicide in a a high-end apartment building that doesn't want that getting out because no one wants to live in an apartment building where people are killing each other, to arresting the COO of a company for being an unregistered sex offender and frog-marching him out the front door and having half the staff quit on the spot. These are some pretty big crises. but. For for day to day, 
there's a way to define crisis and, and everyone has to define it differently. But the idea behind crisis communications is that you're bringing in a firm that specializes in this very high stakes type of PR. It's kind of PR on steroids. It's PR when there's very little margin for error and you have to get it right every time. And the stakes are too high because if you screw up when you're in crisis, you can compound your misery and a mistake that could be bad for you could end up being deadly for your business and could ultimately kill the business. So part of the reason oftentimes people want to engage crisis communications experts is because they want that specialized expertise. They want someone who's been through similar scenarios in the same way that if you're having chest pains, you don't just go to your internist or your family general practitioner. You go to see a cardiologist Similarly, if you're in a crisis, you're going to want to look for a crisis communications firm as opposed to just a PR firm or a firm that does marketing, which gets you even further away from that yeah. specialized aspect of PR. Yeah, I love that. So why did you choose to focus your agency on crisis communications? It's a great question. I didn't really choose it. It chose me. How and so? I'll- So the first seven and a half years of my career, I worked for an unbelievable organization in Washington, D.C. They did everything right. The people were high integrity. I worked with smart, motivated. They treated the employees like family. It was a supportive, mentorship-oriented type of place. And despite all of that, in my last year working there, all of a sudden, the organization got embroiled in a crisis. And at the time, they brought in outside crisis PR experts, in addition to lawyers, to help the organization navigate this difficult circumstance. And I was the in-house PR person working with the crisis PR experts. And when I saw the role that they played and I saw the value that they brought and how they were able to step into a very high stakes, very fraught situation and help calm everybody down, create a path towards success, and then guide the organization to success, I thought to myself, this is exactly what I should be doing in my career. And so when I left that organization, I went to work for a firm that only focused on high stakes and crisis PR and liked that type of work. And part of the reason I love it so much is because, as you correctly pointed out, in some cases, people are getting smeared And it's things they haven't done. In the case of Michelle McFarland and the wedding shop, she'd done nothing wrong, but she was under fire. But then there are plenty of situations where organizations have done something wrong or they've made a mistake. And guess what? We all make mistakes. We're all fallible. Every organization makes missteps. And I think that the role of a crisis PR expert, part of the reason it, it really attracted me and why I get so much enjoyment from this type of work is you get to help good people and great organizations through difficult times. And you can have a real big material impact, not just on their business, but on their lives in a short amount of time. And for me, that's rewarding work. And you don't love every client. Do some clients do things that you disagree with? Absolutely. Do they do stupid things? A hundred percent. Yeah. My feeling though is even when an organization or a person has done something wrong, if they're willing to own it 
and they want to learn from it and they want to set it right, I'm open to working with them. And I don't believe, and this is the problem with our society right now in a cancel culture world, cancel culture makes every mistake permanent. And it it judges the outcome. It doesn't give people a fair chance to explain themselves. There's a pile on, often fueled by online activity. And the person is judged guilty and then their career is executed before they've even had a chance to muster defense. And I think that's wrong. I think it's bad for our society. And so I feel called to this aspect of communications. I believe, I think overall, Yes, there's a lot of evil in the world. There are a lot of bad people, but I also think that a lot of people are fundamentally good, but they do bad things or they make mistakes. And it's not my job to sit in judgment of them, but our role is to help organizations that have faced something, they want to make it right. And a question that I get all the time is, you know, do you ever turn down clients? And if so, why? And, And I think it's a really good question because some people assume falsely that everybody who retains a crisis communications firm is guilty and that they've done something bad. And that's clearly not the case. In the cases where we do turn down clients, typically it's a range of things. And having done this for many years, I've developed almost a sixth sense for if someone's being straightforward. If I get the sense they're lying to me and that they're not being trustworthy, We won't take them on as a client because if you lie, the truth will eventually come out and then you look worse from having lied. And so I won't work with people who I believe are betraying our trust. If someone is hiring a crisis communications firm, in my view, in order to paper over or excuse bad behavior or provide cover so they can do that again, that's not a client that I want to work with. We don't work with clients who are part of organized crime or criminal enterprises. I don't like to take cases where people are attacking their spouses with whom they're in the midst of a nasty divorce right? or or people who hurt children. Those are clients that we don't want to take on. So there's other clients that we've said no to through the years, but it's always a tough choice When you're talking on the phone to someone and you're trying to suss out within the first half hour whether or not you believe this person and you're willing to work with them, it's challenging. And do I get it right 100% of the time? No. Have I gotten it right most of the time? Thankfully, yes. That's great. You know, one of the things that I am always cognizant of as an agency owner, and my expertise is not in crisis communications. But when you take on a client and you're representing them, your reputation becomes associated with them. And so if you take on a client that your gut's telling you not to and something goes awry or you find out that they're lying to you or they are trying to paper over something by, in my case, just generating good PR in preparation for doing something bad or something like that, you are not always called out, but you certainly run the risk of being seen as someone whose ethics and values are suspect because you associated with this organization. 
And while I believe that everyone deserves a second chance, most people deserve a second chance anyway. And they certainly deserve, just like people who commit crimes, if they can't afford an attorney, they get a defense attorney appointed to them. Likewise, people who make mistakes are entitled to good counsel by a PR strategist. But it's another layer of, do I really want to take this client on? Because you want to maintain your reputation so that you can create the impact in the world that you want to. And I know that's important to you as well, because it is all about impact. It is definitely. I Look, I think being a someone who specializes in this type of PR has made my skin a bit thicker and I've been through <laughs> lots and lots of battles on behalf of clients. And so I'm far less worried because of the type of communications that my firm Red Banyan focuses upon. I'm less worried about being called out or being attacked. I mean, maybe it's just because it's happened so many times through the years. Okay. And the fact that people understand, I think a critical mass of people do understand, similar to a defense attorney. Right. Because you know, you can have someone who's an excellent defense attorney who works with unsavory clients and it doesn't necessarily impugn their personal brand. In some cases it could. And there are some exceptions to that, obviously. All right, let's pivot here and talk about your approach, which is called Press the Truth, which I think is really clever and also very clear in explaining kind of what you're going for. But can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. It used to be you could afford to be a little bit more measured. And when it came to telling your story, not just defending yourself, in a crisis situation. But just communicating effectively as an organization, you could be more measured. You could take the long view. It was a marathon, not a sprint. If a bad story ran, you didn't have to dignify it with a response. You could just let it kind of go away. But that was a different time. And if a bad story ran in the local newspaper, it ran and then it was gone. Or they ran on TV and then it was gone. So whoever happened to read the paper that day, or whoever saw it on the news caught it. Well, and then it was as if it never happened. Exactly. It's a different world and everything goes online and everything lives forever. So now you could be in a small town. You know, for instance, I grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana, Northwest Louisiana. Something could run in the Shreveport Times. And 20 years ago, if a story ran about, I'm just going to use myself as the example, just proving mm-hmm. to you that I'm, I'm willing to like put myself out there for criticism. And I'm making up this thing, say that I embezzled money from a hospital. I was the okay. CEO of a hospital, a major hospital in Shreveport, and I embezzled uh, money from the hospital and got fired. Well, 20 years ago, that could happen. It, the story could run in the New York, in the Shreveport Times. And it could be bad. And then people wouldn't want to hire me in Shreveport and I could pick up and I could move across the country to somewhere else and I could start fresh. Right. That happened after you were in jail. (laughs) Well, I would have orchestrated it in a very clever way. Okay. Really (laughs) embezzle it. Technically it wasn't embezzlement. It was, you know, it it fell within the parameters of what was acceptable, but it it wasn't really kosher, if you will. Okay. Okay. Got it. In this day and age, doesn't fly. So same scenario, story runs in the Shreveport Times that I've done this and I moved to Omaha, Nebraska because I want to start over in a place where no one knows my name. And instead they Google me and they see this story 
from the Shreveport Times. So when something runs in the media now, and when it gets out there into the world, there's no scrubbing the internet clean. And so the risks for both individuals and companies are higher and greater and more long lasting than they've ever been before. And so the rules of the game have changed completely. And so in this new modern world, you have to be willing to get your story out. I was talking about this with Michelle and in the context of cancel culture, the same is true just in terms of delivering your message as an organization, as an entrepreneur, as a founder, as a leader, you've got to drive your narrative. You have to be willing to press the truth, meaning you can't let other people say things about you that are true, not true, without you weighing in as well. You owe it to yourself, to your brand, whether you're a a solopreneur or a small business or a larger corporation. You have a a duty to, whether it's shareholders, yourself, to make sure that the world hears the truth. And the only way to get that out there is for you to accept the responsibility and to press that truth. And if you're not willing to press it by telling your story to captive audiences, to your internal team, to your prospects, to your hires, to your clients, to your customers, all of these different audiences, well, then you're missing out on opportunities to shape how the world sees you. Yeah. And I would add to that because I work with clients on the front end that from day one, you should be pressing your truth. You should be talking about who you are and what you stand for and giving examples that back it up so that if you do make a mistake or someone decides they want to cancel you, you have been very public already about who you are and what you stand for and what you do. And I have found that it's easier for people to recover, just like in the case of the wedding shop owner, when they've already built, because you're building relationships, whether it's in person or it's online, you're building your reputation, you're building relationships with people that maybe you never meet in person, but they're engaging with you via social, email, what have you. And then you've laid a groundwork that no like and trust to some extent. And if something does happen, you're in a better position to alleviate it. Well said. I love it. (laughs) I agree with everything you just said. I just think it's such a shame when people wait until there's a problem to think about PR and what it means to, you know, to have things that they care about and say them and put those out in the world. So that's what brought that up for me. Well, you're absolutely right. And it helps in terms of building goodwill and recognition from your customer base, from prospect who may want to hire you at some point or buy what your product or your service and your online footprint really matters. I make yes. the case in a lot of the presentations, you know, I get invited to speak to groups all across the country. And one of the main things that I talk about is how your online presence, who you are online may in fact be more important than who you are in real life. Because in your entire life, you're only going to meet tens of thousands of people, most likely. Whereas online, you could potentially be viewed and people could feel like they know you. And that number goes up into the millions, tens of millions, or even potentially billions. Right. You've got to shape how the world sees you. And how do you do that? You do that by pressing the truth. You do that through smart, effective PR, through communicating, by willing to talk about 
what separates you from the competition, what you offer in terms of who you are, not just your offering of your product or your service, but also, as you pointed out, what's your DNA, the DNA of your company? What are your core values? What are the things that are unique to you? Why would people want to do business with you? And if you're not telling that story and you're not pressing the truth, well, you're missing out on an opportunity to engage with a limitless audience. And as you correctly pointed out also, you're not building a footprint online that puts you in the proper light. So then when inevitably something goes wrong and someone does say something negative, it's not counterbalanced by all of this goodwill and positivity that's out there. Yeah, I love it. So how can people learn more about you? And I know that you have a freebie that we will link to in the show notes as well, but where can people find you? Very easy. You can find me by going to my company's website, which is redbanyan.com, B-A-N-Y-A-N. You can find me on Instagram. It's my name, Evan Nearman. Find me on YouTube. Find me on Twitter, also known as X now. (laughs) I mean, everywhere you want to be, right? (laughs) Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, just Google me and you will find me. And I I love it to reach out and and I'm happy to, uh, I want you to be a part of my network. I accept contacts from people on LinkedIn, et cetera, and have a newsletter that goes out. If if you'd like to get in touch with me, You, you can find me in any one of those different platforms. And buy the book. The Cancel Culture Curse from Rage to Redemption in a World Gone Mad. I love that title. It's it's just great. Anything else that you want to say either about the book or about cancel culture and protecting yourself before I let you get on with your day? Well, I think I do believe in certain fundamental American attributes. I believe in the right to free speech. I believe in the right to due process. And it's been interesting, this whole process of of writing this book and being out there in the world talking about it. I think there's a little bit of a misperception about me that I didn't expect when I wrote the book. Interesting. So I've been forced to practice what I preach. And a lot of people have assumed simply because I wrote a book that calls cancel culture a curse, that I am this hardcore libertarian, I'm a right winger, that I'm hard right on the political spectrum. And what I would say to anyone who's listening is it's actually not true. I'm the classic swing voter. I'm a political moderate. And in the book, I criticize the left. I criticize the right. I criticize Democrats. I criticize Republicans. Anyone who employs cancel culture, I critique them. And I think that it's not right when either side does it. I believe that people should have the chance to redeem themselves. I believe that this is a country where people should have a second chance. We learn through the mistakes that we make and we grow and we become better and wiser and we got to return our society to that. And I guess the last thing I would say is I'm a very big believer in this country for all of its problems, all of the political stratification that exists now. There's a lot more that unites us than divides us. And my hope in part through this book and in part through conversations like this is is that we'll return to a time where people treat each other with civility and we can have debates and we can exchange ideas. And it doesn't necessarily mean you disagree with someone, therefore you don't like them. Debates need to be based on the soundness of the argument, not reduced to personal attacks. And I think social media has done a terrible job of pitting 
Americans against Americans and and people all over the world against each other. It's done a lot of positive things, but I'd, I'd love to see, I, I do believe in the inherent goodness of people. And I'd love to see us return to a time where people can have respectful disagreements and disagree on the right path forward. But at the end of the day, recognize we all have to live in this country. We all have to live on this planet. Let's find a way to to treat each other well and pursue peace and dialogue and mutual understanding. And that all starts with mutual respect. That's a great holiday message. I love that. You just really made so many important points. And I will end this by saying, just remember as we're heading into all the holidays that we need to grant each other more grace and not make one mistake mean that a person, an organization, or a party is terrible. So granting grace is my takeaway from this. But Evan Neerman, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today. Everyone find Evan, connect with him, check out Red Banyan, and I wish you all the best. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom and insights with us today. Thanks for having me. All right. And to all our listeners, I will see you next week on The Prosper Project. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Prosper Project. If you want to grow a peerless, profitable brand, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you find value in our show, please help us reach others by sharing an episode and leaving a review. In appreciation, please visit prosperforpurpose.com for more free resources to help you grow your business.